Yes, and it's so cool listening to that. <laughs> it keeps. So it just it's still nice. It's still fun. It's still good. Well, we've only used it for nine episodes so far, and twenty-four Advent mix. Oh, I suppose so. Well, that was a yeah, subset. Well, that was yeah. a remix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, I would like to ask you to spend just a few seconds of silence for Moraine's back. He's reached the age now where he can't do gardening anymore. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Aww. Yeah, no, he had to be off sick last week. He has some training days to do. And to cancel, yeah. Cancelled. So it's affecting his bottom line. So the insurance company, he did honestly damage his back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. It's yeah. an age thing, mate. It's We've an age thing. We've all been there. Well, yes. I've been there anyway. Yeah. I know. I know. Oh, well. We'll see. But you're okay now. I am okay now. I've been standing up all day delivering six times the same introduction to Microsoft 365 in one drive <laughs> session. I bet you did so, them very, very well. I think I, I nailed it on the last one, on the Good. sixth one today. Nothing like practice. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I'm so happy that we are not talking about documents today or uh, OneDrive or document libraries or any of that. Um, oh, what oh. does it say across there? <laughs> oh, no. Baseline, document libraries. Baseline governance document libraries. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, we, we thought we would. Uh, we can change the subject if you like. Innovate. Oh, no, shit. We did that last time. Oh. <laughs> Innovation. Uh, and, that was a great podcast. I mixed it down at the weekend and got to re-listen to that. I, uh, I thought it was hilarious. I really did. Good. It was very good. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should. It's uh, it's all about innovation in in Microsoft 365 and how you can um, innovate. And apparently, Moraine had innovated at least twice that day. Yes, before he arrived here. Yeah. And uh, so when I was listening to that, I was on the floor. It was hysterics. Speak innovation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today we thought we'd go back to the humble document library, mm. share some experiences where we've had, and specifically talk about governance around document libraries. Yes. Because quite honestly, people don't give a shit. Exactly. They don't. They just go. It's a and document you know library. Why? Because it just works. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It does just work. That's all right. That's a good place to start. Actually, this is a good does place to start. Does it work, actually? That yes. is part of the question. Oh. But the, the other question I was thinking about was when does it stop working? So we can create 10 sites and we can tell people there's the documents and they mm -hmm. can upload stuff into the document and they can share it with people and all that kind of stuff, which we haven't actually even thought about adding to our flip chart here, like sharing and syncing and all those oh, around the governance. We, there's so many things we'll come we back didn't to that in a minute. put on there. Yeah. But at some point, I believe, now I'm going to backtrack a little bit. As people know, if you've listened to all 109 podcasts, I kind of, you're going to sit down, are I'm you? I'm going to sit down, yes. Does this feel like it's going to be a long <laughs> it's one? It's going to be a long one, yeah. <laughs> I believe that content architecture is the number one thing you need to get right with SharePoint, all right, and even potentially MS Teams, and that's part of my issue. But mm -hmm. I always say that if you don't do it, you will regret it at some point. So, you know, if you Possibly. don't go with content types, if you don't go with, with document, with content, uh, sorry, metadata columns that are appropriately organized throughout the whole company, the enterprise, et cetera, et cetera, your search will get crappy, your, you know, um, uh, the document libraries, it would be impossible to find anything and all that kind of stuff. Is that true? Well, with search being just... so good these days, or these last few years, you will still find a bunch of things. But, ah, but I, I find a bunch of things when I go to Google. Yes. That doesn't help me find what I need. No, but maybe we should have this conversation after the 20th of April when Satya Nadella is going to talk about how AI is going to save Microsoft and going to change all our lives. AI is going to save Microsoft. But not that it needs saving. And it's, all going, the to change, it's of... going to change our lives. That's all right. <laughs> I, I don't Flip know. Flip chart out of the window. <laughs> yeah, it could be. 
uh, I have to say today I had a, a, a really good brainstorming session with the development team where um, we were looking at how we can I- improve the flow of emails coming in from customers. Mm-hmm. So we have a bunch of emails coming in. So you, your public email line, all right, and mm-hmm. you are a, an interactive organization. So people are asking, where's my box? Where's my delivery? Where's my product? Whatever it is your company mm-hmm. does, when's that new thing going to arrive? Where do I pick my car? Blah, 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 blah. So let's assume you get eight or 900 emails a day. And it's nearly impossible to try and keep on top of them, but you're trying to, to deliver a great service. Yes. So we were kind of saying that, look, we have these kind of applications like, you know, customer support applications. They can log in and find out where they're at and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then we start saying, OK, so we could use Graph API um, to actually take make a call from the software product, the customer software product into the e- you know emails and actually pull the email in to say, hey, there's an email arrived for that particular customer. So mm-hmm. rather than having to go and find the email from the 800, you can filter them, bringing them in on various criteria. Okay. So, and, and then on top of that, we started thinking about AI, because I know you were wondering where this was going. And it was that comment <laughs> yes. about how you use AI to actually decide where you want to go to those emails. And we decided that in reality, it's going to be quite easy, because most emails have sentiment in them. You know, yes. they're communicative. Mm-hmm. They're kind of saying, I'm a happy bunny, or I'm really annoyed that this didn't work out, or I'm, you know. And so the ability to use AI as part of that process to decide, you know, whether the email is a happy email or not was relatively easy. You know, you do a, an AP, you do a call, find the email GUID number, uh, so you can actually identify it through your workflow, then run the sentiment stuff on it, the AI stuff, mm-hmm. and say, is this a happy customer? If it's a happier customer, I don't need to deal with it today. If it's an unhappy customer, then it's a higher priority to respond to. Oh, and, and of course, okay. you, you, because you can actually get an email through the GUID link. Yeah, You can mm-hmm. get the link mm-hmm. to the actual email itself. Now, when, I th- when you say that about documents, documents don't have sentiment in them. So yes, can you really true. do more than define the topics inside that document? Because it's a bit like having a flat conversation. I can only search on the words because I don't have sentiment in them. So I can already search on keywords and combinations of words and sentences and even subjects and keywords. But what is AI going to do on a document? Well, for a few years now, we have this uh, functionality where it's not really AI, but it think it's part of syntax now where it's uh giving you a three sentence summary of your document if you hover over the document and you get this little document card that opens up that you get this little uh three sentence but is that ai it's not really ai no but it's it not it's just the same stuff that does your grammar assumption and it's the same thing we use on our podcast i don't have to do a summary anymore when I launch a podcast, it, re- it defines it from the, the notes that we put in about the podcast. Hmm. But that's okay. Let's assume it's a bit of AI, just a little bit then. Yeah. So what else is AI going to be able to tell me about my document that all the other tools not? And that is why we're waiting, I guess, for the date. Well, but I was just thinking to myself over the last weekend going, but I don't get what it's going to give me at this point. So I'll be looking no, forward that's, to that. That's why we need Satya to tell us what it's going to be. I'll call him. Us. Just give me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, on his, he's on his call center. It's fine. I know yeah, exactly yeah. where he's sitting uh, at the moment. He's, yeah. No, but the, the thing is, uh, right now you are searching for documents. But you're not really searching for a document. You're searching for the content, a part of the content of that document. You're not Actually, searching. You're not searching for document one nine seven a dot docx. You're searching for the decision that was made in this meeting report about this topic. So that's what you search for, is it? No, but that is that's in the end. That's what you want to know. So you search for meeting report uh, that day. Now, and that's the problem. 
that we're getting to here. <laughs> With these young people today. No, yes. Uh, when I was a lad. Um we talked about start off with when it when it becomes difficult to find your content if you do not think about content architecture. Exactly. So I throw twenty five sites in, and we put three libraries in each one, uh, and the site owner can create those libraries when he wants. So I've got seventy five libraries. Mm-hmm. Five of those teams use a lot of meetings, mm-hmm. so they throw in their meeting minutes mm-hmm. into those libraries. So when you search for my decision on this dated subject meeting, how can I work out where it's coming from? Because I'm going to have lots of documents with the words decisions, action, maybe a date, maybe a name in them. Yes, but that's that's part of the AI that is going to give you the, the answer and it's going to say, I got this answer from this document. But I've got From this five sites, each with two or three libraries in, that have regular meetings every week. Yes, but that's why the art of asking something specific enough to the AI is a, is an art, and that's going to be a proper job role in Bullshit. the next few years. Bullshit. <laughs> it's not. You're turning around to me and saying, and I, I want to get back to this sp- yeah, yeah, in yeah, a minute. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely do. But... Um, how is AI going to know which meeting I am referring to? The only way you because can do maybe this, no, 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 no. The only way you can do this is if I know which meeting that I I want to get the result from. If no. I give it enough information, it will be able to tell me specifically the decision that was made. No, what was decided last year about our revenue sharing? Oh, like there's not many documents that have that in there if I meet regularly and have financial reports every month for the last 10 years. Yes, of course. And that's why the AI is so important that it should get the right information out of all that content instead of us browsing through all the documents and finding the content ourselves. One one thing that that I have found about using the chat-based search, not just chat GPT, but, uh, and I've been doing a lot of, of searching with it because I find it quite intriguing, mm-hmm. is that it's building a filter, all right? And it's also telling me not no specific information. So uh, Sarah and I, in, in a week's time, we go, we're in London. I've got to go to London next week for mm-hmm. a, a meeting or two, so I'm meeting my daughter there. So, hey, what are we going to do for the weekend? So things to do in London on May, March the 21st or whatever. And it comes back and says things like, there are lots of things to do in London associated with you could do this and this and this, but if you go to these sites, they'll give you more information. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I didn't give it enough information. So I sat there and said, look, my 21-year-old daughter plus their father, th- great things to do in London. And then it even was even more worse now, clinched arsehole-like, you know. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to keep this shit in. And and it just gave me a few more links. And, and it was basically building the filter based upon my subsequent chats. It was not in any way, shape, or form being dynamic in terms of giving me the information. No, but but that's, that's a problem with the public AI that we have right now, is that... We are going to ask the AI to come up with an answer instead of going to an actual site where the AI also learned the answer. So instead of us going to the site and the site getting ad revenue, we are now asking the chat AI and the AI is going to grab that information from somewhere else. So the ad revenue is not... Here's the thing. The old way of me searching for it, I would get thousands and thousands of answers. And inevitably within the first two or three pages, I would get the information that I needed, okay? With the new chat-based search, I get a far more focused response. Okay. But it's wrong, or it's not enough information. Okay. So I'm actually better off doing a normal search and actually spending time putting a good search request in Okay. Okay. Anyway, I, I will look forward so, to the twentieth of yeah. April. But I don't. I, I just don't see at this point how AI is going to 
help me other than potentially saying uh, these were all the decisions made and uh, these are the ty- the dates that they were made, which one are you referring to? So rather than bringing me back 17 documents with decisions in, it's pulled the text out of those documents and, and has actually given me more information. Yeah. But when we did that in MS Teams, we actually all went, no, that's crap. I can't just have a conversation without the context of the conversation. So Microsoft changed the whole search process of MS Teams so that if you've got a conversation you're searching for, it will give you the whole conversation string mm-hmm. because you can't deal with it without that context. Yeah. So, Satya, you've got a lot of convincing to do with me. <laughs> so I honestly still believe that you need to plan and prepare for this. AI will not just be an answer. It can't be. It just at, can't be. At some point it has to be. Why? I don't know. It has to be a mind reader? Yes. Ah, that as well, amongst many other things. It ain't going to work, is it? It will only really. Work. I mean, syntax works. It be- will for three days, and then it will take over the world, burn us all. Maybe, and maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe. So let's go back then to this argument. So in my mind, my question was: At what point in the organization, or do you ever get to a point in the organization where, if you do not do the smarter things in document libraries and your content? whether it fails to work. The company you went on today Mm -hmm. is failing, all right, in terms of searching and finding their content because it's bringing back too many results and not enough clarity. And and that is one where I do have an architecture, but they're not filling it out properly, mm-hmm. hence the training work you're doing next week. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that work will be about, you know, putting the right metadata and terms and, and corporate taxonomy in. That is what is needed. And okay. That, and, and, and maybe the, the thing that AI does is it brings out, it was a, it's able to work out context of words from within the document, and then maybe auto does all that filtering for you. Maybe that's the way forward, but I'm not entirely convinced at the moment. So let's assume then, <laughs> why are you looking no, like that? that was good. That was good. What? Yes. Nice backtrack. Yes. Yeah, no. <clears throat> well, uh, you know, I don't know where we're going to go with this. All I know is that if they're going to take the search, conversational search that is on the Bing preview, or the stuff that's in chat GPT, and throw that at SharePoint... As a first MVP, it'll be like putting loop in. Which is also getting a private preview this month. And how long have I been waiting for it? Well, they promised it to deliver in July 2022. 2022. <laughs> so, hmm. So, yeah. I think I that this AI stuff will get put in there and it might have a small benefit, but the real value won't come for 18 months. No, absolutely. I'm I'm not saying we're there already, but I think that it might have a, a severe impact in the way we are searching or interacting with information. So my biggest worry is that this will be just another excuse not to do proper content architecture. Exactly. AI it's a little bit like excuse. on an iPhone or an i whatever machine you don't have folders you just save your files and the the system will save them somewhere for you through some miracle yeah and if you're a control freak you're a completely buggered <laughs> yes then you i need, need to, to know where that file is why i just need to know tell me tell me yeah, then you need to go to linux all right yeah, yeah. All right, anyway all right let's 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 plot along then so uh, we had seven items on here and we are 20 minutes in and we haven't even started Okay, but so. I think that was a great little conversation. Yes. To see, we'll see so where five, that goes. Five minutes per topic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 All right. No. So look, we we're going to have a document library on every single site we work in, and it's probably the one thing that everybody's going to use because eventually their one drives will get full. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Well, eventually yes. they might start listening to whoever's doing the change management and the adoption and say, look, if you want to share this file, then you need to put it into a document library in SharePoint. Yeah. So let's start off by just looking at the, in our opinion, what the minimum is for a document library. Now, the minimum is straight out of the box. 
Yes. Everybody in the organization uses the document content type. Yeah. Which basically means you can't use PMP search. Why not? Because if you want to try and filter particular kinds of information, you need to know the content type GUI to ah, go through it in. Yes, okay. So if you want to be able to say, hey, my search is only going to bring back these results, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to do it if you just use standard out-of-the-box content. Yeah. Service. You're not going to do it Fair well enough. anyway. Fair enough. Um, so, so default out-of-the-box, but it does basically mean that you're good to go. All right. Yeah. So uh, if we just do a very rough top just thing on top of that, uh, we can, of course, do a content type. Mm-hmm. All right, And it's fairly easy to do content types now. Add a yeah. column, yeah. content type. Yeah. But that means users need to understand what it is or the site owners need to understand what it is. Yeah, they need to do the work. And, if and it's only yeah. a local content type as well. Yeah, but it's always going to be a local copy of your content type anyway. No, but if you create it from a library... Oh, yeah. Okay. So not from the content type hub. So you want... Yeah. You'll be able to pick it up in your site collection. That's actually a really good question. So what kind of content types would you create centrally from the content type hub? And which kind of content types would you allow people to create locally? And would you allow people to create a content type locally? So we're going to jump straight to number four then. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and hit right. off on your no, two, but, no, but no. hold that yes. thought because yes. I think that's important. So look, I think that what I do is I have a minimum structure within the organization. I don't anymore create a baseline content type, a base content type mm-hmm. like I used to do because document can be modified now more than it ever used to be. So document is still the default basic content type, mm-hmm. but then it has the default um, uh, columns in that I like to add. Mm-hmm. So as a minimum, a corporate taxonomy column, yeah. sometimes hidden, sometimes not, but it depends how important it is, category and subject. Mm-hmm. Just so that I can help people to say, look, instead of creating folders, create a category and a subject and then virtualize your, your view using a, a grouped view. Would they be text fields? or Yeah, yeah. just straight text fields. Yeah. Obviously, the taxonomy field will be a, a corporate taxonomy of terms, mm-hmm. which will grow quite quickly, two to 300 terms ultimately, yep. has to be centrally managed in some way. Mm-hmm. But generally, that's my minimum mm-hmm. because I genuinely believe that at some point, content and searching and, and it will become just a deposit. It'll just become one big hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, or people will not search globally, they'll only search locally because they know I can search from the top bar locally and, and find the content I need. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that to me is the kind of minimum stuff. Um, would you have mandatory columns or anything else along those lines? Never. Has, my experience is always dodgy with those. Yeah, never. Um, I, was, I was at a... Actually, I was at a museum uh, last week, Monday... Uh, very are you smart enough to go to museums i am i am so um i was helping uh the people at the museum to create an um a, basically a crm in lists okay uh and they were also coming up like we want to keep like the company name and the first name and what kind of partner it is and we all want these to be mandatory and i said I kind of gave them a little pushback, but they really insist, okay, no, we need them to be mandatory. Okay, cool. Then about an hour later, we, they said, okay, now we're going to fill them with uh, content. So we're going to copy-paste that from Excel. That's the way to go. Yes. Yeah, but that's that's pretty good way. But then they just ran into all these issues because all these fills were mandatory and it would not be saving anything. They would just be copy-pasting and it wouldn't be saving. And, oh, it was such... Such a nightmare. So eventually they turned it off. Eventually you turned around and said, I told you so. Exactly, yeah. Did and somebody then, mention that earlier? Who was it that mentioned it earlier? Yeah, but they also wanted to like add uh, uh, items manually. And they were like, oh yeah, partner type. 
yeah, but what kind of partner is this? Oh, and now I can't save this because I have this. It's a mandatory field, but I don't know what it is, so I need to look it up. And no, so I I don't like mandatory fields. I do like the way how Microsoft handles documents or items that have mandatory fields which are not filled in. They used to be checked out. That's not the case anymore, and I'm I'm so happy. That's true. Although it will check them out under certain circumstances, unfortunately. Yes, but what you have, for example, is when you add documents in there, then, for example, your workflow will already start running, even if the document has, doesn't have all the mandatory fields filled out. Mm. So you could have a workflow to fill out those mandatory fields, for example. You know the training you've got to do next week? Yeah. There's mandatory columns. Yes, I know. Okay. Uh, purposefully, because the organization wants people to search and find the content. Mm -hmm. And so that's where they're going with that. Um, and they're quite solid with it, which is quite interesting. Um, so, yeah, mandatory columns. I'm a bit the same way. Uh, I love the new way it's being approached. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a meeting last week uh, around something we're going to talk about a little bit later on when we get to this more in-depth structure and stuff. Um, and um, uh, yeah, we need these content types. Uh, how many do you think we need? Oh, 15. No, you don't need 15 content types. Yeah, we do because these documents will need these metadata and these documents will need those metadata. And uh, Anouk, God bless Anouk, said, they said, look, just send me all of your content types and I'll do an assessment of it. And she got down to three. Nice. And three is amazing and so she was able to kind of work it out and then take it from there so the compromise was was in uh, and the mandatory column question is still to be discussed but my answer for all of that is don't launch with it being mandatory mm -hmm. but then enable it a little later and use it as part of your rollout process so awareness for example no mandatory columns you know when you get to the kind of uh, the next stage of your adoption process all right, where you kind of set in the desire to use, then you can talk about searching and retrieving and then identifying the columns and start to make them mandatory as part of your training okay. process. So your, your museum, it's mm -hmm. probably very valid that to be able to have and find and sort and filter those columns, that metadata need to be completed. But you could turn it off until you've done all the import from your spreadsheets. For example. Then you can turn it on again and say, okay, now we're at the point where we're adding smaller numbers of documents. Mm -hmm. Then you can have kind of mandatory. And the other thing is you only need one mandatory column. It doesn't matter how many fields you need to have filled out. Just one mandatory column will drive the filling out of the rest. Mm -hmm. So yep. it will be a reminder that these columns need to be completed. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And the other thing I often do is I create views of missing content. So if I have three columns that need to be filled out, mm -hmm. I might have three views that will, will show any column, any document where that column is blank. Okay. So that an administrator can go in at any time and see what needs to be done. I've also, this was smart, uh, I've also um, put a web part, search web part on the page that also identifies columns that have not been completed properly. So using search and again some formula that says if this field is blank, uh, if this metadata column is blank, then list the document here so that they actually, everybody gets told this document still needs some information adding to it. All right. It's a bit like going back to a website that you once ordered a book but never actually pressed sell. <laughs> and it says, hey, you've still got something in your... Checked uh, out items. Yeah, exactly. Nice. That's but actually that's, a pretty cool idea. Well. Mm. Okay. So so there we go. Basic kind of document library and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but this is about governance. So um, there are certain things that we would need to decide about all of our document libraries. Yes. So exactly. I'll let you start with the first one. Well... First of all, is the, the most important one, I think, or the most basic one, is who should be able to create new document libraries. Okay. I think that's true. Normally, it's the site owner. Uh, yes, or even the site members. They've got oh, edit rights. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So you've got to turn that off. Well, it's been a... 
a long-standing debate within the SharePoint community that in the old days, the members were giving contribute permissions and for the last few years, they've been giving edit permissions. So one of the things that I always try to do when I'm building new sites for particular customers uh, or site templates is that I try to give them back the contribute permissions. Give them back the contribute permissions? Yes, and get them off the edit permission. And uh, remind me which way around. Edit means that you can create libraries. Yes. Contribute means you can't. Exactly. Contribute just means create files, delete files, change cool. files. No, I don't disagree with that. But not not even change uh, or create views. Just do the work. Don't mess with the structure. Yeah, fair dues. But I think this is all about the governance decisions you make before you get to yes. that point. So yes. you will have decided how, who can create a library. Um, and uh, under what circumstances and how they can create that library and how you're going to control it. Mm-hmm. You will have decided who can um, uh, modify the views of a library. Yes. You, you will have decided you know, whether there's versioning control on there. So there's a, a number of things you have to decide. So out of the box, if you're on SharePoint Online, nobody will care. Just leave it by default. Major, minor versioning, 500 copies, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the more unusual ones, do I create allow them to create folders from the interface? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Um, am I using templates, specific templates in that library? Oh, yeah. So yep. if I have a content type template, uh, so I say, hey, this is a new request for a laptop. Thingamajig. Yeah, yep. thingamajig. Uh, do I want them to sync the library down to uh, the laptop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an important one. Because that also uh, means yes. they can start using folders and stuff like that that you don't want to do. Yes. So so there's a number of governance items that you will need to um, to decide so that you can set this thing up the way you want it to be set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have a complicated-ish one being put together um, that is worth um, sort of a mention, I think, for users. So... The default library, as I said, is going to have um, category subject um, and uh, the uh, taxonomy column. And that's all right. If I set that up as in the document library, mm-hmm. so category subject, everybody will get it regardless. Yeah. All right. Um, and if they even create a content type, local content, those columns will get inherited. They're all good to go. But if you have a library that is being used for specific kinds of content, and we're kind of moving into the next area at this moment in time. So let's assume that um, I need uh, a template for requesting new hires. Mm-hmm. So there's a Word document that they fill out that then gets approved and moved on. So I need to add that to the library. Yeah. Um. If I want to add that to the library, the the person setting the, uh, the site owner would not be able to do that. I need to be able to do it either centrally or whatever. But of course, um, I don't know where it needs to be created. The business needs to be created. So either they create a ticket to the SharePoint team and the SharePoint team add it on there. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is you can create a site that is your add content to your site site. Like yeah. That. Look at that. Even my fingers had content to your site site. And basically that will say, hey, uh, I want to go in there and I need a new library for this kind of template. So it might be HR templates. It might be financial templates. It might be all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. So they choose the URL that you want. And assuming that um, you are allowed access to the site, that generally means you can decide where it goes. And as soon as you've created that list, as soon as you've created that list, then uh, effectively a workflow will kick off and then provide you with the right library on the site that you want to do, all properly configured with the right content types, the right views, and the right you know columns. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'll just say, oh, I need a new library for that template, and they'll create a new library, and they won't be able to find the template, and they'll get all confused because they don't really know what they're doing and how to add the right content type and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. 
You can use um, the same site for creating new sites as well, by the way. So you can use it for creating any kind of content, you know, new lists. It's it's actually a provision engine. It's a provisioning site, yeah, yeah. provision engine. That's yeah. true. All right. That's cool. All right. I'll be done. Document libraries. There's some cool stuff we can do. Um, Absolutely. Formatting. You do a yes. session on formatting. So I've, I've yes. now got my document library in there. How can we make it pretty? Well, uh, view and column formatting is not just to make things pretty. It can be used to make things pretty. Really? But it's more about um, making your content um, more um, useful, actually. So, for example, if you would have... Um, some kind of uh, a number field. For example, if you have a document library with um, contracts, sales contracts, something like that, you could have the amount as a, as a column there and then you would be able to have a visually uh, a bar that would display a bigger bar with a, with a contract is a higher in amount for something. Um, you could have... Colors. Sorry? I'm confused. You have a bar with a bigger bar. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> so, uh, no. so let me try and explain. See, yes. So basically you can use conditions inside the column or metadata that would either color, color a cell well, or it's, it, the whole bar. No, it's not that. It's actually like a, a column... Uh, how do you call that when you have an uh, in Excel a diagram with these column things? I'm buggered, man. Wow. I have no idea <laughs> okay. what you're talking about. So you know this program Excel um, where you can create some. Oh yeah, yeah. Some um, how do you call that graphic um, graphs? Yes. Right. And then there's a graph with oh columns. A column graph. Thing. Yes, bars. exactly. Yes, bar graph. Bars. Yes. So you can have in your document library, depending on how much the money is, how much the number is, how high the number is. Oh, a, a, a right. Bigger, just like in Excel. Just so like in Excel. So it changes the color and the Ooh. scope. Not Yeah, the color and the, and the size. So if yes. the number is wow. nine Jesus. and the maximum one in there is 50, it will fill it yes. up one-fifth of the way. Exactly, exactly. Or like a donut chart, for example, that you might want to show up. But also what I'm using it for, for example, is um, I've got a library with um, uh, user manuals where everyone in the company can go in and find user manuals for all kinds of processes. Um, they all have an owner and a revision date. And when the revision date is passed, that document will appear in red. Now, that I'm more interested in because that, yes. I believe, is around governance. All those other yes, ones, all those well, other ones yes. about columns and stuff, they're about yes. specific library, yeah. and, it, and that's fine. So, yes, I think that there should be... Okay, you're going to interrupt me? No, 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 go ahead. That's what that go finger ahead. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I've see, got, I've you got, you got something that I need to say, but I'll let you continue. I bet he forgets, but let's find out in a minute. All right. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I always forget what I was going to say. No, I know what I was going to say. I think the conditional formatting, because we're doing centralized creation of libraries and stuff, mm -hmm. it also means that that formatting can be in there. So, for example, based upon the corporate structure, you could sit there and color all your documents regardless. This is a finance one, an HR one, an yep. IT one. This is giving the instruction one and everything else. So it doesn't matter which library it is across the whole organization. Your governance says finance documents will always be boring blue. Yes. All right. And so they can have a tone and, you know, HR documents will always be green and fresh. Yeah. And IT documents will always be black and difficult. Yep. The world. <laughs> well, you can, you can do that out of the box. So in your content type hub you also have your side columns yeah you can apply column formatting on those side columns so that everywhere where you use those side columns you would have that uh, formatting yep, exactly it's a part of there. your governance yeah, that needs exactly. to be done yeah neat all right now yeah. what was you gonna now, say what i was gonna say is that what you can also do in that formatting is actually change the color or have a visual representation of the stage where your document is in for example, if you have that uh, new hire request, yep. 
it might go through some kind of workflow where it nice. has four or five stages and you can visually show what stage in an instant in. what's uh, yes but also for example with a little more information there's a really good example on the pmp website that you can implement where you can hoover over this the the status and it will actually uh, give you like a little pop-up saying this stage uh, we entered in this stage on this date because this person did that and then we went to this this stage that's cool because that person did that yes yeah, so that's like a full visual process driven flow chart of your document very nice yes but i've just thought of a perfect scenario for ai in these document libraries around conditional formatting okay so if i have a library with cvs in it mm -hmm. it could do the interviewing for me so we put a job description in and we upload the CVs into that library and it basically colors them, you know, black for those that don't stand a chance. Nowhere near. I've done an AI comparison with your job and the, this is their CV and no take a hike. And then you can have green for or amber or whatever. And you could use AI to automatically color the documents to actually say this is the closest to the job description. And you could then say anything that turns black, just send them an email saying thank you, but no thanks. Yes. You're also now wondering whether syntax could potentially do that anyway. Well, um, I don't know. But how I would use AI in that case is to have AI go through the documents and then tell me which would be the top one, two, and three candidate and why. Even what better. are their strong points and why they would make a good fit in our organization? Now, imagine you're a hacker and you're able to hack these. You can sit there and go, you should employ him because he's a lovely boy. <laughs> and, uh, oh, she's good looking. She's definitely the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could have fun with that, couldn't you? Yeah. Are you able to hack AI? Yes. Actually, there were uh, people, there was a group that did that with uh, ChatGPT. Uh, because ChatGPT is trying to be very neutral with opinions. Correct. I've tried to get it to tell me what the Formula One, Fantasy Formula One team should comprise of. Yeah. And it wouldn't. Um, and they actually found a way by uh, going into a full chat to um, go around that. Actually by saying, um, oh... How did they, they, they? It there was. It was a very, a very cool way. I, I'm gonna butcher the story, but it was something to do with. Too late. You've got five <laughs> points, and uh, every time you don't answer in a in a completely honest way, you lose one point, and with zero, you die. Is that so the way that's, that the that's AI what works they, in the background? No, yeah. Oh, so okay. that's what they said to the AI. <clears throat> And then they were asking it questions, and then to in order to save itself, it actually got around all the safety measures that the oh, OpenAI team smart. implemented, and uh, it it they got to some really curious uh, results. It is it is actually amazing how this whole Chat GPT thing has attracted the world. It is, you know, it is absolutely. I mean that that word Chat GPT has gone around quicker than Google did, you know. But the the question is: Is this going to be a fad like VR or like crypto? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Who so, knows? That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Still, it is the voice of the moment, isn't it? So it we'll, is. we'll yes. see where we're at. Okay, yes. let's let's just finish off this because it oh it's. 45 minutes in. That's so much fun. And we've How got is some that? <laughs> How awesome whiskeys to taste. 45 minutes. Well, actually, okay. we've got some choices on whiskeys to taste, actually, today. Mm. So we'll work that out. Okay. But let's carry on. So we talked very briefly about this idea of a specialist structure. Yes. So um, you kind of need to think about using building on the basic level kind of content types to be able to sort of say, 
um, if I have a particular type of document throughout the organization, mm -hmm. so um, a process document, for example, mm -hmm. then there'll be HR processes, IT processes, there'll be financial processes, operational processes. And those documents are owned by those particular departments but of course you actually want to be able to search for all processes across the organization mm -hmm. and based upon what type of process it is and everything else yeah. and content types at that point creating a whole structure around the metadata the content types uh, and the search associated with that allows you to kind of uh, pull these things and own them and, and share them from whenever, whenever where they are in their organization wow wherever they are in the organization yeah because you have different owners okay so you don't have to have a process site and then allow hr to go into that site and then also the people in hr that are going to collaborate over that document in that site mm -hmm. using content types using search and that kind of stuff hr can have the hr processes with the hr team and mm -hmm. anybody gets added to the team can then start adding to those documents but everybody else in the organization, suitable permissions, of course, on the library, but then you could actually create a whole search page just for processors. Yeah. All right. And they could all be centralized and managed and found and identified. Mm -hmm. um, so I think specialist structure, and, and that can be not just processes. It could be instructions. It could be training documents. It could be recruitment processes. It could be any particular kind of thing. And that's when you start and end up building up your content types, which then, of course, eventually becomes a content architecture for your organization. And there are also a lot of stuff that make, uh, make use of that. Syntax mm -hmm. um, makes use of it. Uh, of course, AI makes use of it because you're grouping yep. the kind of contents together. Um, search specifically does. Um, topics and all of the knowledge stuff. Um, yeah. all of that is crucial because actually it won't do your topics knowledge otherwise. So there's some thought and governance that needs to be around all of this to be able to make it work properly. You've got that grin on your face. Yeah. You can argue with me, aren't no, you? No, no, I totally forgot about uh, topics. Now I'm wondering if AI is going to be brought into topics <laughs> to give a good story about what this topic is. And what is thus and what we do with it. Hmm. I don't know. No, anyway. Yes, sorry. We'll see. No, yes. no, don't apologize. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and then I guess the final thing, really, because I'm going to ignore the bottom one. Um, mm -hmm. This content is crucial and key to your organization. We're talking about process documents here. We're talking yes. about IPR, basically, within your organization. We're talking about personal data. Uh, we're talking with HR and financial information. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about corporately protected content and data. We talk about meeting documents for you know top level meetings or yep. uh, innovation or new ideas or whatever. All of this stuff around corporate content types has to be protected in some way. Yes. Okay. All of this content around corporation has legal retention requirements. And so you also, within your governance, when you define a content type, um, then you need to think about what kind of, how sensitive it is. Is it confidential? Is it private? Is it public? Is it, can it be published? Do I, am I going to allow people to email that document out the building? Do I need mm -hmm. to use some kind of DLP policy on there? Um, if I create a new version of this document, do I need to keep the old version and for how long? Do I need to keep that? Mm -hmm. So you've kind of got all of these uh, processes, routines associated with your content that you can fully automate and manage and report against. Mm -hmm. uh, legal hold, you know, um, yep. if there's uh, cases of people um, misappropriating mis your content, you wow. know, okay. being able to say, hey, look, actually... Moraine was on last week and he added that library. So I'm going to put a hold on any of his comments, any of his emails, any of the documents that he's touched or edited or played with or sites he's visited. Mm -hmm. So that if there's a legal case pending, you're able to kind of Jump identify and, all yeah. of those uh, those things. So there is a whole bunch of stuff there uh, that uh, can be done. Um 
that can actually obviously protect you and and uh, and, and enable all kinds of uh, uh, things that would sort of basically make you compliant with whatever yeah. organizational structure that you need to be in. So in short, there isn't. There's a, short. a lot of things that you can do with document libraries Absolutely. and there, lots there of decisions. Yeah, you must have a governance. Yes. I don't care whether we started off by going, yeah, just create the library. You must have a governance. If your governance says, we're just going to create a library, that's fine. You have thought through it and decided what my baseline is going to be. Yes. It's the out of the box, forget it all, trust AI and search to do the <laughs> job for me. No, that's fine. I can, okay. that, and that is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Once you start building on that, then all of those things that we've talked about here today are going to kind of get kicked in in some way. Either, you know, understanding who can create and who can't create. Mm -hmm. Content architecture, content type structure, that kind of stuff. All those things will need to be decided really before you create your first site. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which brings me back to my first question. If I forget to do it and I have... 60 sites created, excuse me, then um, am I in the shit? I am if I suddenly want to roll out some metadata around everywhere or we mm -hmm. need to do DLP and if we need to do retention because yeah. all of those require trigger points in some form or another. Yeah. And you can't just easily switch content types neither. No, so, not where you can yeah. do it, but not easily. Yeah, so... So when it comes to baseline governance here, because we've talked about that a reasonable amount, when it comes to baseline governance around your document libraries, you really have to think about where this is going to go. Mm -hmm. You can't just go with decision one, decision two, and I'll build on it later. No. If you ever have to backtrack, uh, like adding an extra column into everything, you know... Um, uh, that kind of stuff, then you are going to have issues that you're going to need to resolve and, mm -hmm. and pull together. Yeah, that's true. Do you also separate like default um, collaboration document libraries and proper Ooh, document management Great libraries? question. So I... Because for example, when we create a new Teams team, it will create a library, a document library with folders and all those things. Uh, I'm in two minds with this. I, I, I always fall on the line of um, if a SharePoint site is being used in MS Teams, then I create a new library for use whilst I'm in SharePoint called Team Documents usually. Mm -hmm. And then I hide the shared documents library. And I... Yeah. Put, just put that in for teams. Mm -hmm. So that that's what I tend to do because that one you need folders in. There's not a lot you can do about it. Every time yeah. you put a channel in, you get a folder. Of course, it becomes a story for your change and adoption. People need to understand what that library is and where it is. Mm -hmm. um, so um, again, next week on your training, <laughs> 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 you, that, that will need to be explained to show mm -hmm. that it's different. So you can still go to it, of course, and mm -hmm. they may need it. But if you're going to approach it from a SharePoint perspective, then it's about file storage and it's uh, about uh, sharing with colleagues. Mm -hmm. Whereas the shared document library is used in MS Teams, which is about collaboration. Yes. Um, and that, that kind of awareness of your content architecture that you're launching with is fairly key. Mm -hmm. So we've got two very distinct... Um, ways of working and outcomes and uh, governance. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I don't know why I've suddenly got very tired. Yeah. That's okay. Time for whiskey, I guess. I think it probably is. Now yeah. then, we have some choices here. You brought a fabulous Tamatin 14-year-old that looks rather tempting. Yes. Tomatin 14-year-old. I also got some Glen, Glen Goyne... Um, 10-year-old and 17-year-old for comparison. Mm. Yep. But we have also got a really unusual whiskey from a country that just does not create whiskey. 
I know. And kind of our tagline since the beginning was that we are trying out whiskeys that you've probably never tasted before. The, the, that we hope you've never tasted before. But that's also valid for most of those. <laughs> yes. I mean, the 14-year-old Tamatin in a Madeira cask is kind of going to the be a limited cask, edition. Yes. A port cask, yes. sorry, I apologize. Um, is going to be a kind of limited edition. So it, it's going to be in small quantities, I would mm -hmm. suggest. Um, but, you know, I don't know what we're going to go with. Let's do the tomatin. I think so. Yes. Because we already tasted the Italian one. Yes. So we'll save the Italian one for yes. next time. But it was a very interesting find. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. We'll do the Italian one next time. Yes, I think and so. And I think we've got another one that we need to try next time as well. Okay, good. We have plenty of whiskey to try. I will just go and identify the Tamatin uh, tasting notes while you're just pouring that out. Just checking that we've got... Uh, ooh. Tomatin 14-year-old. And it was in a port cask, wasn't it? That I am looking forward to. I do like some of these strange casks. There we go. The 14-year-old port cask. Am I over 18? Are you a legal age in your country of residence? Yes, I am. <laughs> All righty. So, I mean, I did say this is limited edition. It's not really, but it's... Not many people would go and buy a 14-year-old unless you're a... You're not going to find this in a bar, let's put it that way. Probably not, which is a pity because I really like tomato. You do, yes. Yes. I remember the first time that we went to Barcelona, we actually each <laughs> bought a little bottle of... Uh, the one was Tomatin and the other one was the, the, the peated version. I think so. Of their it brand. a while ago. Yeah, I can't really remember what that name was but um. i have to say i'm watching a program that's on the local tv it's nothing desperately special called the diplomat and it's based in barcelona oh so it's all about british embassy in barcelona okay. and i see we're going i know where you are i've been there i've been there nice. somewhere we spend a lot of time in barcelona for some reason but there you go <laughs> this smells delicious mm. wow moraine we've had some Interesting tastings tonight, one yeah. way or another. And the, the color is fabulous. Oh, that is well, so warm and rosy, isn't it? Oh, you're right. The nose is it's pretty amazing. spectacular. Okay. Do we have any, any official... Uh, oh, look at the awards. This is one. Gold. San Francisco Whiskey Association. Gold, silver, Asia. Man, this is pretty cool. Okay. All right. I can't find any tasting notes, unfortunately. Can I? Um, That's okay. Find out more. We'll come up with our own. Oh. Yeah, we'll come up with our own. Well, this nose really is spectacular. Kind of Christmas berries. Yeah. But I, I do get a little sour note in there as well. Okay, you always do. Yeah. So I like a little lemon... That's coming in no, so not like an undertone. Lemon. No, yeah, maybe. Oh, I see what you're saying. Kind but of earthy. Has a earthy, yes. So not, not a little stewed fruit. Maybe, but not not overly in there. Not like in a cherry uh, sherry cask at all. No, but port is. That uh, it's darker, isn't it, in terms yes. of its smell and mm -hmm. in terms of its taste? I could smell this all night long. Yeah, absolutely. This I, is oh fabulous. yeah, absolutely. It is. It is a great nose. And Steve's going in. Mm. Oh, oh, the palate is fabulous. It's very smooth. It's uh, a touch sweet on the palate, sweeter than I thought it would be from the nose. But yeah. then, and then on the follow and on the uh, uh, on the finish, though, mm, it's oranges really is that like Jaffa yeah. cake toasted. Yeah, mm. not sweet. Jaffa cake is sweet. Mm. But on the f oh, but that is really very nice. Mm -hmm. mm. 
I need to get me a big bottle of I this one. I was just thinking yeah. the same. I, and looking at the price here, it's not overly expensive. It's £75 according to this website that I'm on at the moment. Okay. So for a 14-year-old, that's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is it's got the depth of a cask strength, but it's not a cask strength. But it's... Wow. That is interesting. It's not got the bite of a cast. No, it does. But it has got the depth. No. Mm, I'm going to just uh, bring the angel out, I think. Mm, a little drip of water? I think so, yes. All right. Mm. Now, I am curious to what that is going to do. So I might follow your example here as well. Yeah, let's just see where we're, we're at. You want some mm-hmm. too? Yes, please. There we go. Let's see what All we get. Just no, just, yeah, that's good enough. Thank there we you. go. Let's see, Let's see that what that does. Mm, it cleans up the nose. Doesn't It doesn't distinguish it. it oh, no. It up. No. No. No, I don't think it's a No, bad it's thing. gone. It's subtle. No, it hasn't. Oh. No, it's actually, um, you're not going to like this. It, it's a little no. bit more mentally, a bit yeah. more. Yeah. So that's that's it's not a sour note. That's what I was referring yeah. to. Yeah, lemon, mental cloves, cloves. That, we had that in <laughs> yes. the Italian one earlier, didn't we? But I was trying to align that too. Hmm. Well, this is definitely a two drinks in one. Neither of them are bad, but I think it's better without the water. Yes. I fully agree. Yes. It's fruitier with the water. Yeah. This gives me more a a sherry cask vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You you get Mm. sweeter notes once you drop the water in. Yeah. Well, there you go. Moraine, that was a very, very pleasant experience, my friend. So, yes. um, 14-year-old tomatin uh, whiskey. Um, uh, Tomatin, is that a... Highland, Lowland, Highland, Highland whiskey. Yes. All right. Cool. Um, it's I was there last year, two years. Last year we were there. Brilliant visit. Very nice people. They always have these special casks that you can only get there, and it's yeah, very very good experience. Go and sit on your finger, brother. <laughs> Now I get it. I I will get there this. Uh, actually, we might get there this summer. Mm. This year, we'll see where we go. They also have an, They also have an uh, an expressions range, uh, including a Japanese Kayo cask. Really? Yes. You and didn't that bring, was you didn't bring any of that back. Wonderful. No, I couldn't. I, I but, asked you this question the other day because I had a tasting last week. Yeah. Um, or a few weeks ago, and they had a fifty-year-old. Yeah, you told me about that. Did, did mm. I talk about it on the podcast or did we talk uh, no, about it No, we didn't, aside? no. So my question was, would you buy a one centiliter tasting of a 50-year-old whiskey? Well, that depends on the price, of yeah, course. 100 euros. 100 euros for one centiliter? Yeah. Mm, then I might want to pay 200 for two centiliters, I think. I, I think I might pay 100 and then follow it up with another one if it was worth it, just in case. Just in case. Yeah, but but I was I was okay. with a bunch of people and they were um, and I, and I kind of I know that we we're on the podcast and stuff, but I think it's worth this thought that they were going, oh, what a waste of money!" And I'm going, you know, what an experience. The people that made that whiskey are not alive anymore. Yeah, you know, they might be. All right? Yeah, but they're okay, going to be okay, okay, ninety okay. years yes, old if yes. if not. But that fifty-year-old whiskey. The people that made it are not, in, are not so pay that money, that kind of respect for that art. Yeah, I would kind of go for it. Yeah, I have to say I would, but it was an interesting process. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, whiskey is such an interesting subject. It is absolutely. Even, even is. if my wife accuses me of being obsessed, I think I can own that. Yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Um, I would certainly put it on your list uh, if you're a whiskey drinker. Kevin, you are going to love this one, actually. If you can find a bottle of this, my friend, put it on your list Mm because this is right up your street. It's uh, very, very cool. All right. Well, when I asked Moraine today what we were going to cover, he went document libraries, and I went, huh? 
And then he sort of added in uh, around the governance around document I went, you yeah. know, that is actually very valid. We talk about actually. Actually, the question I asked you in our chat, we didn't get to answer. My question was actually, when would you create a new document library? So no. when would you just have like one document library on the side? When would you have three or five? But we didn't cover that. But that might be on some next episode. It's interesting, isn't it? Because whenever I get asked that question on a training course, is I say things like... No, 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 no. I don't do it depends. <laughs> That's a cop out. Because at that point, I'm getting paid for it. Mm. So you don't want to do it depends. Um I think that if you wanted a new top-level folder so you have a completely different subject, then you can make the choice of a different document library or if you need to have different permissions on it and different access to it and if you need to have different governance on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that would be the answer yeah. uh, that I would give anyway. Yeah. Um, I have no problems with multiple libraries on a site. It doesn't bother no, me at all. No, no. Uh, five, six libraries, mm -hmm. if that's what's needed. Mm -hmm. The same way as you'd have five or six top-level folders to segregate that content. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it is likely to need different metadata, different search, yes. and that kind of stuff. Um, you can use content types, of course, but it can be confusing for users yeah. if some of the metadata is missing. Yeah. And also... If you've got one of them being mandatory, mm -hmm. you've got to really be clear that this document is that content type and that column is not mandatory. Yeah. So depending upon the complexity of the content types and the separation, I might select different libraries. But it is a governance decision. It's really it a good is. one. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and one that we, yeah, we missed off the list. Yeah. You failed. Yeah. You wrote that list. I did. And you failed to put, when do we create a document? But it's yeah. a great question. Uh, anyway, for the people that have stayed on until after the whiskey tasting, where we always give that golden nugget, yes. That is it. Good for I you. So. I think it, it depends on the people and what the business wants at the end of the day. Um, and also, how much content is going to be created. Yes. So if there are an organization that deals with 10 documents a week, you know, that's 500 documents at the end of the year. Yeah. that may get created um, and also how many are they going to move across mm -hmm. so uh, yeah I suppose that's also you should look at their file share find out how yeah. they've segregated yeah. their document yeah. on the file share and use that as a guide great question alright good so um, good subject great company great whiskey I think that is probably what Office 365 Distilled is all about yes I think so and on that note, thank you for your company. Um, this is Steve Dolby signing out and uh, wishing you the best of whatever you're going to do after this podcast. Mm -hmm. I learned the thing as well. I learned that every time I just say bye and just leave, it's called an Irish goodbye. <laughs> is that what somebody yes. told you? Yes. Instead of saying goodbye, you just leave the house. That's an Irish goodbye. You Who just told walk you away. That? I, I, I saw it somewhere. I, Oh, wow. I forgot where, I, where it was, but I, I thought that was pretty funny. All right. Pretty cool. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you uh, on the next Office 365 Distilled podcast. Bye from Steve Dolby, and bye. Irish goodbye. I love that. Hey!